Now we give a warm welcome to everyone joining us for public worship this evening, both to those in the building here and to those who are joining with us online. Let's begin our worship by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 25. It's the first verse in page 231 of the Psalter, and it's at the beginning. To thee I lift my soul, O Lord, I trust in thee. My God, let me not be ashamed, nor foes triumph for me. Let none that wait on thee be put to shame at all, but those that without cause transgress, let shame upon them fall. We'll sing verses 1 to 6 of Psalm 25. To thee I lift my soul. together in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we pray that as we engage in this act of worship this night, that it wouldn't be outward and superficial only, but that it would uh, be inward, that it would be soul worship, that it would be worship that would engage our intellects, our emotions, and our ability to make decisions but that it would also be spiritual worship in the sense that it's worship that's enabled by the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God has come into our lives in an amazing way in the great work of regeneration. We pray, O Lord, that as we go along life's journey, our response to your kindness and your goodness to us would be a seeking to obey your commands not as a basis for salvation, because that's a free gift, but as an expression of thanks for your kindness towards us. And yet even as we utter these things, we feel a deep sense of shame, because we are so 
given to our selfishness and we are so given to satisfying our own egos even as people who have been blessed with amazing blessings we ask you would forgive us our many sins and that uh, you would enable us to live in a way that would seek the honor of your name a day by a day we live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation we are part of a crooked and perverse generation but we do realize that your working on the sons of men can change things utterly and completely we see evidence of that in individuals lives we pray O Lord that you would invade our society and that you would change it so that it would um, not be a society that revels in wrongdoing but that it would be a society that would revel in honouring the name of Christ we give thanks this night for many blessings we thank you for family bonds and we pray that you'd watch over our loved ones wherever they might be have mercy on each and every one of us may we all be part of your family and be safe in you forever we pray, O oh Lord, that you'd bless all who are away on holiday from the congregation at this time. Wherever they might be, watch over them and bring them back to us refreshed in body and in soul. We pray, O oh Lord, that as we gather this night, you would come in amongst us and that you would do us good. That you would indeed bless us, each and every one. Remember our Queen, we pray. We thank you that you are still strengthening her in our old age. And we pray that you would continue to do so. Bless her with her own family struggles and, and other issues that she has to deal with. May she reign long over us. We pray that you would uh, bless all the young ones who are on vacation just now from schools and colleges and universities. May they use their time eh, to the full. And eh, may they all seek the honour of your name. We remember once again those in this community who are mourning afresh. Be a blessing to them, we pray. Remember others who have been mourning for years and even decades now we pray that you would help us each and every one of us and so be with us now as we turn to uh, your word to sing it and to read it and to hear it and to uh, listen to it being preached on we realize that if you leave us to ourselves this will all be an act of futility but we pray that it would indeed be an act of worship that would honour you. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's continue in the same song, Psalm 25 at verse 7. My sins and faults of youth do thou, O Lord, forget. After thy mercy think on me, and for thy goodness great. God good and upright is. The way his sinners show, the meek in judgment he will guide. And make his path to know. We'll sing verses 7 to 12 of Psalm 25. My sins and faults of youth.
Now let's read God's word as we find it in the epistle to the Ephesians and at chapter 1. Ephesians and at chapter 1 at the beginning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the, his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand, in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen, and may God bless to us that reading from his word. Let's join together again in prayer. O Lord, our God. Sometimes as we read scripture, we can get so confused. Sometimes these sentences of Paul's go on interminably. But uh, we pray that you would come amongst us. And we pray that you would enable us to glean from the fullness of what is before us. And if one apostle could say of another apostle that his writings were hard to understand, then that chimes with our own experience. But we pray when we find things hard to understand that we would remember this. When it comes to the eternal God, we will always be learning. But may we also remember this. Much of our ignorance is due to our lack of diligence. Have mercy on us. 
and help us to put right what is amiss in our own experience. But may we remember that in the same sentence Paul talks of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Astonishing statements. A human being being equated with God. But a human being being equated with God because he was God. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. This is the enfleshed God. Enfleshed and engaged in the routine of the stench and blasphemies of a fallen world for one reason and one reason only to redeem a people unto himself. And tonight, as he sits enthroned in heaven, this is the Christ who prayed in the garden and said that he would lose none of those who were given to him. Therein lies the security of every believer, not within ourselves. Because we self-reflect and we self-analyze and we know the truth of Jeremiah's words. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But we thank you that that passage of scripture goes on to say, I, the Lord, know the heart. And this is the astonishing thing. Whilst we were yet dead in trespasses and sins, Christ died for the ungodly. May we never forget that. And may that be a motivator to us and a stimulator to us to continue to seek the honour of your name. We ask you once again to remember us as we seek to worship. You remember our loved ones, wherever they might be. Bless us all and keep us safe and secure in you. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's continue in Psalm 25, this time at verse 13. His soul shall dwell at ease, and his posterity shall flourish still, and of the earth inheritors shall be. With those that fear him is the secret of the Lord. The knowledge of his covenant he will to them afford. Verses 13 to 16. His soul shall dwell at ease. Turn to uh, 
this particular song that we've been singing, Psalm 25, the first version in the Scottish Psalter. And we read again at verse 6. Thy tender mercies, Lord, I pray thee to remember, and loving kindnesses for they have been of old forever. Now let's by God's enabling seek to explore something of this area of scripture. We have been looking at a song that speaks about how we are to worship God. And it is easy to go through outward rituals that are nothing but superficial activities that kind of impress other people and indeed can impress ourselves. That's not what God is looking for. God is looking on the inside. God is looking for soul worship. And God is looking for worship that will engage our intellects and engage our emotions and engage our volitions. But God is looking also for worship that is primarily sourced in the Spirit of God. And that's a reminder to us of this. That if any of us here this night are saved people, the basis of it is grace. Or to put it another way, the basis of it is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, whereby he has brought what is dead alive. In other words, he has regenerated. We cannot do that for ourselves. And so as we turn to this passage of scripture this night, we're going to look at, in particular, a word that comes up in this particular verse. It's the Hebrew word chesed. And in our English translation of this word, it is translated in various ways. Sometimes it's called loving kindness. Sometimes it's called tender mercies. Sometimes it's called great love. And you think, well, why on earth are they not consistent? And why did they not just stick to the same translation in every context? And I'm guessing that the reason for that is that this word is just so enormous. There is just so much in it. But they use different English words to convey what has been spoken about. And that is one of the limitations of translations. You know, it's not the English version or any given English version of uh, the Bible that is inspired. It's the original uh, in Old Testament Hebrew with some Aramaic in it and in the New Testament Greek, by and large Greek. It's the original that is um, that's inspired by God. And remember what inspiration is. That Greek, or these two Greek words welded together to, to give the word that means God-breathed. And we are told that all scripture is God-breathed. In other words, it's exhaled by God himself. It comes from within God. It's rooted and founded in God. And that is why we must make this book the guide of our lives. Because it is the great touchstone for everything. This is God's word on every matter that we need to attend to in this world. Now I have to qualify that. It's not God's word on everything. Because God hasn't chosen to reveal everything to us about himself. But he has given us sufficient for living in, uh, in this world. But there are limitations when it comes to translating. Let me give you one good example. In the, in the Greek language there are four different words for love. And uh, you know, um, C.S. Lewis uh, categorized them. Uh, eris is the word that will be used for, for, uh, for the love between lovers. Philia is the word that would be used for the love between um, friends. Storgi is the word for love that you would use of love within a, a family uh, circle. And then, 
there's the crowning word for love agape it's the word that's used for love within a marriage but it is also the word that is used for the love between Christ and his church now we translate all these four words into one single English word love so you can see there are going to be shortcomings shortcomings there but it's this word chesed that we're looking at here that's found in verse 6 of this particular uh, song it's also found in Psalm 23 and Psalm 23 you remember is probably the best known song from the Bible in the world the Lord is my shepherd you know I was somewhere recently and you know you get different versions and, and of course you know the different versions are are attempts to to translate into as accurate and as contemporary language as is possible. And some are better than others. But I was somewhere recently and uh, we sung what was purportedly Psalm 23. But um, it was hugely disappointing. And I'm going to explain to you why it was hugely disappointing. Now here's a problem. I'm not going to give you the context. But the context was one of nice people. But these nice people were using... A version of Psalm 23 that effectively had butchered the psalm. And here's the way they did it. For example, one of the things they left out was this. I'm going to talk about three things that they left out. We come to the bit where it says, My soul he doth restore again. That wasn't in it. Now, it's one of my own favourite songs and I'm thinking it's probably one of my favourite songs in the Bible because it is so up to the realities of life because how many times do Christians need to be restored because we wander away and we get it wrong and we falter and we fail and this is a strange phenomenon but we fall into the same snares and the same traps and the same backslidings again and again and again. We were talking this morning about the situation that prevailed in Israel in the times of Malachi in 440 BC. Far away from God, who the people of God, far away from God. And what's God saying to them? Return unto me, return unto me, return unto me. And you know, that's one of the things we do with God. We sow him, God, in, and we so limit him, and we so we make him almost niggardly. And there is nothing niggardly about God. There is nothing mean about the grace of God. And there are certainly no limitations within this word, this Hebrew word, chesed. Because the loving kindness and mercy of God is so massive that we can botch things up and make such a terrible burak of things yet still Hesed is saying I'll cover it, I'll cover it, I'll cover it. But we get ourselves into depths of despair because we think there's no way God can cover this. There is no way. And there's the battle. Is, is it my view on things that's going to prevail? Or is it God's view on things that's going to prevail? And I suppose I'm back to where I was this morning. Just how crucial it is to know what Scripture says. Because when the enemy of your soul is devastating you, perhaps it's three o'clock in the morning and you haven't slept for hours, and it's torture to know areas of Scripture can be so crucial and can be just so, so life-saving. 
And so the reality of our own experience is this. We need restoration. And here's a song that says, The Lord is my shepherd. And you might well think, Well, if the Lord's your shepherd, nothing at all can go wrong. Well, nothing at all does go wrong from his side. But when we wax and wane in our faith, there's plenty goes wrong from our side. But what do you do when you're far away from God? You turn Godwards to this God who says, return, return, return. And what does he do in his mercy? He restores. He is the God who restores. Now here's something else that was missing from this version of the psalm. The psalm goes on to say, My table thou hast furnished in presence of my foes. This world is full of foes for God's people. Now let's remember this. The ultimate foe is the enemy of our souls. And sometimes he uses other people to be our foes. But it doesn't necessarily have to be other people involved. But his strategy of opposition to the ways of God are manifested by his attack upon the people of God. And I don't think I need to tell any of you just how hard going it can be at times for believers as they battle this opposition and that opposition and the next opposition. The reality of God's people is this. This world is full of opposition to God. This world is full of opposition to God's people. And the song recognizes that. But it also recognizes this. That even in the midst of that opposition, his table was furnished and his needs were made. There was a sufficiency from God in the midst of it all. That was David's experience. And it is like a balm to the soul to tell a believer who is really struggling and who is really fearful and is almost round the bend with anxiety to say to that person, He'll provide for you in the darkness of the moment as well as in the good times. And that's what the song says. My table thou hast furnished in presence of my foes. And here's the third thing that I immediately noticed. The last verse. Goodness and mercy all my life shall surely follow me. It wasn't mercy. It was love. And I was disappointed. And I'll tell you why. Now it's true, it's the same word chesed at the end of Psalm 23. And here's why I I, I was disappointed. Mercy comes into play where there is sin. And the problem with believers is this. We still have the old man. We still wrestle and struggle with it every living day. And the reality is we are going to live with it until we draw our last breath. But the mercy of God is going to go with his people. Right to the very last moment. And then he shall usher them into a glorious state. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. But until that moment, the battle uh, continues. But the mercy is there all along the way. Now, it's true that it is the love of God that provides Jesus as the sacrificial lamb that will deal with our sin. But there's the, the, the crux of the issue is the gift that deals with our sin mercy comes into play where there is sin it's the sheer reality realism of the song now the question is this why would anybody giving a verse in a Psalm 23 
Why would they want to miss out restoration? Why would they want to miss out being provided for in the midst of foes? And why would they want to miss out mercy that comes into play where there is sin? I think the crux of the problem is this. God has inspired his word. And God has inspired Psalm 23. But when men meddle with God's word and give a particular slant, then we create problems for ourselves. That's what we do. But it's the same word, he said, that's used here in Psalm 25. It's the tender mercies of God. Thy mercies, sorry. Thy tender mercies, Lord, I pray thee to remember. And loving kindnesses, for they have been of old for ever. So there's a reflection on this chesed being there from forever. And I want to, to look at three things that come up in the epistle to the Ephesians concerning this chesed. And the first is this. Chesed saves dead people. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. This is what He's saying to the churches in the Ephesus area. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. You were dead in trespasses and uh, sins. Here's a question. How can dead people be made alive? It is only by the working of God that that can happen. And let's remember that this deadness, this deadness is talking about spiritual deadness. Let's remember the three uses of the word dead in Scripture. In the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Adam died spiritually. The communion and the fellowship he had with God, it's a thing of the past. It's gone. And because he has died spiritually, further down the line, Adam is going to die physically. Well, that's the way I use, these are the words I use to describe it. I'm talking about physical death when we draw our last breath and body and soul are separated. Whichever of the three ways in which the word death is used in scripture it always has this idea of separation when Adam died spiritually he was separated from God he's out of the garden that's the separation but there's a knock on effect to being spiritually dead and that's when body and soul have to separate but the third use of the meaning death in scripture is eternal death that's being separated from God forevermore. But people in this world are born in sin and shaped in iniquity. That means they're separated from God in terms of no spiritual communion whatsoever. But the difference between somebody living in this world, spiritually dead, and somebody dead in the sense of being eternally dead, is this. There is no hope of being made alive again in hell. That's not the case whilst we are in this world. That's not the case. And that's one of the ways in which we as human beings are different from demons. Because demons, let's remember, are fallen angels. They are spiritual creatures. But there is no way in the world that they can get back to God. That separation is complete. And that separation is utter. But that's not the way it is with we who are spiritual creatures, but also physical creatures. 
we can be made alive again. And that is what regeneration is about. And let's remember this, we are totally passive when it comes to regeneration. Totally passive. Now we're not passive when it comes to conversion because conversion involves repentance and faith and we are involved in these things. And it's very important that we don't get all these things mixed up. But regeneration is effectively the new birth or the second birth and that's a work of God. And if we are here this night as believers, we are here this night as believers because God has done something. He has made us alive. We have been involved in a new birth. And what's that down to? It's down to Chesed. It's down to the loving kindness and mercy of God. Why do I want to just underscore this mercy bit? Because we were dead in trespasses and sins. And here's the great mystery of the gospel. Whilst we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's a that's a great mystery. But it's part of his revelation to us. It's part of what he is saying to us. You were dead in trespasses and sins. But here's the second thing. Hesed saves by grace. Chapter 2 and at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast faith is the gift of God what does this word grace mean grace means the unmerited favour of God you know lots of people are graduating from universities and colleges and whatnot just now and they will be awarded their degrees they've worked hard for them they have earned them these degrees are not gifts they're getting the result of years of labour that's not what we're speaking about when it comes to getting faith, the gift of faith. It is a gift and it is absolutely unmerited. And why is it so unmerited? Because we're dead in trespasses and sins, that's why. That's why. But he regenerates and in his graciousness he gives this gift of faith. And let's remember this. Where the gift of faith is bestowed, it's not God who believes. It's the individual who believes. And wherever there is faith, it never exists without its twin repentance. And remember where we were with repentance this morning. The three significant things about repentance is this. You recognize your sin. You just face up to the realities of who you are and what you are and recognize your sin. But there's more to it than that. There is this sorrow over sin. There is this real godly regret over sin. Not remorse, not not, not pain because of the consequence of, of sin, but pain because of the actual sin itself. And then the third thing we spoke about was rejection. They, you just want to get rid of it. You just want to be done with it. So there's recognition of sin, there's regret because of the sin, and there's this rejection, I just want it out of my life. Repentance. But repentance always comes hand in hand with faith. And uh, the apostle is telling them it's by grace. And there can be no boasting. There is nothing worse 
than a proud Christian. Now, I, I, I suppose I need to qualify that. A person who is proud usually boasts about themselves. That's one thing. Boasting about Jesus is another thing. A completely and utterly different thing. By grace you are saved. And that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. And so this word chesed. It saves by grace. It saves firstly. It saves dead people. Dead as a dodo. Dead in trespasses and sins. It saves secondly. Chesed saves by grace. But here's the third thing. Hesed saves from eternity. Listen to this. Chapter 1 and at verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. How far back does your salvation go? How far back do we want to go? I mean, 2,000 years at a place called Calvary, the Christ that is spoken of here was sacrificed in order for such as you and I to be saved. So two, two millennia ago, it was being all worked out. But then you think, well... There were, there were other people who were 2,000 years on the other side of uh, Golgotha and Gethsemane and Gabbatha. How did it work for them? It worked for them because God 2,000 years prior to Jesus being crucified at Calvary saves them on the basis of a work that he knows is going to be fulfilled. So we can go back 2,000 years. We can go back 4,000 years ago. But I think we can go back far, far further than that. We can go way back to before there was the foundation of this world. Because God is not caught short with the rebellion of Adam. In the Garden of Eden. Remember Adam is our federal representative. That's why we talk about original sin. We all sinned in Adam. Now you can argue with God all day long. But it won't get you anywhere. But you can. And people do. Angry with God. And livid with God. Because we're born in sin and shaped in iniquity in this world and we don't have a choice about it. And you can't deny that. But you'll get nowhere being angry with God. You will fester away and it will eat at you all of life's journey and then you'll spend the rest of the eternity going out in the future with the same kind of festering and the same kind of anguish. There is another option. And the other option is this. To listen to all of what God's saying to us in this book of Revelation that he has given to us. And what does he say to we who are dead in trespasses and sins? What does he say to us who are smitten with original sin? What does he say to us as we wallow in this Situation of fallenness. This is what he says. Come unto me, all ye that labor, and I will give you rest. And we can choose between festering away in our souls with bitterness against God. Between that and I'm listening to what you're saying, God. And I'm seeing what you've done. And I want to embrace all the grace that you put the way of sinners. And that's what I believe it is, is it not? 
It's someone who sees Jesus and listens to God's explanation. And what is God's explanation? Well, someone that comes to Jesus is somebody who basically takes himself or herself and all that they are and they give themselves to him. In all their sin, in all their waverness, in all their debauchery and in all their depravity. They come like a little child saying, help me, help me, help me. Or to put it another way, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. And the other side of the transaction is this. Because this is a God, this is a Christ, who is a chesed God and a chesed Christ. Not only does he take all our sin, but he takes all his righteousness and puts it the other way. It's a great transaction. It's a two-way, it's a two-way transaction. That is what it is. And it's a two-way transaction that was thought of a way out in the midst of eternity in the past. <clears throat> and I know it's, it's kind of silly to talk about eternity in the past because there's no time in eternity. Time is a concept and a phenomenon of this world and this world only. But we've got to use language to try and capture this idea of of a way back in the midst of eternity within the trinity of God the father is saying to the son they're going to fall they're going to be a fallen people and something needs to be done about it are you willing to become a human being are you willing to take all the insignia of your godness and divinity to set them aside and become as nothing in order to <coughs> excuse me, redeem them <coughs> and Christ is saying I am I am more than willing to do that do you remember in the last couple of sermons I made reference to the high priestly prayer do you know what Jesus says they were yours to his father they were yours. You gave them to me. And I've lost none of them. Why did the Father give people like you and I to the Son? Because we needed our sins sorted out. That's why. That's why. And that is what Jesus does. That's what he does. And you see, he gives them back to the Father. But he gives them back in a different way. Their sin has gone. Their sin has been washed away. They are as spotless as Christ himself. And you think, maybe that's going a wee bit too far. But who else's righteousness do we have? It's Christ's righteousness that we have. That's what the great transaction was all about. And how has it all come about? Because they're chosen before the foundation of the world. When the psalmist is talking about thy tender mercies, Lord, I pray thee to remember, and loving kindnesses, for they have been of old forever. He's talking about this chesed. And it just goes back as far as your mind can go. Backwards. But it doesn't just go backwards. It goes out there into the future. That's what Psalm 23 is all about. Goodness and mercy all my life, Hesed, shall surely follow me. And the consequences of Hesed go beyond our lives in this world. They go on into the mists of eternity in the opposite direction. He is a great God. 
And he is a great king. We are great sinners, but he has given the gift of a great salvation. This is the chesed that we bow before this night in worship and in adoration. Let's conclude by singing uh, from verse 17 to the end of Psalm 25. My heart's griefs are increased, me from distress relieve. See mine affliction and my pain, and all my sins forgive. We'll sing to the end of the psalm, my heart's griefs are increased. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest on and abide with each one, both now and forevermore. Amen.